the One Last Sketch Podcast, a show dedicated to science fiction, fantasy, and history. I'm your host, Michael. And I'm Marie, with a cold. We, both being born in the late 1980s, are what you'd call millennials, and while we were growing up, there was a kind of revolution that happened called the internet. Yeah. And the internet provided a means for artists, especially, to distribute their work outside of usual channels which led to a lot of free stuff getting put up, a lot of content being created that we wouldn't have heard, seen, or experienced if it wasn't for the internet. It started, I think, the first major example is webcomics. Yeah. Then we move into podcasts, like Mm -hmm. this one, which basically, you got some recording equipment, you could start one, as we've amply demonstrated with our terrible first attempts of just recording off our internal speakers and hoping everything worked properly. Hey, I still record off my internal speaker. (laughs) Don't let that dream die! (laughs) And then the major one that we'll be discussing today is web series, which we have thanks to something called YouTube and other sharing services that popped up which aren't nearly as popular and which nobody uses. Vimeo. Daily Motion. I'll stop. Web series are probably the most difficult out of the stuff we listed to just get up and running because you need cameras, actors, lighting. You need to make a semi-professional product for people to actually watch whatever drama you're putting together. But fortunately, Hollywood and the rest of the world has no lack of aspiring actors, directors, and the like. Why are we discussing web serials on this podcast? Well... Most of them originated in geek culture, mm-hmm. and therefore most of the shows we're going to be discussing are science fiction, fantasy, or about fandoms thereof for gaming, yeah. science fiction. And fantasy. I'd say that it's not just people who are aspiring to work professionally, but just that they love the thing so much, they put a lot of effort into it, and this is hand in hand with just DMs taking a long time to craft beautiful props and scenery and plots that the players don't give a shit about (laughs) and stomp all over, or like cosplayers who go to comic events and put a lot of effort into a costume, which ultimately doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of, you know, the world. But to them, because they love the thing that they do, it matters to them, and uh, indeed, something that both of those things are things that I do, so I can appreciate it. I guess because web serials kind of started out at least gaining popularity when aspiring actors and the like started doing it. Mm -hmm. That's what I've started associating with it. But Mm -hmm. you are correct because fandom picked up on, oh, our our favorite creators that we're fans of can do this stuff. We can do it too. Let's make our own Star Trek film, fan film, or our own Star Wars fan film. And we'll put lots of effort to it and lots of CGI and we'll come out with a semi- professional looking product usually with very good visuals and noticeably amateur acting (laughs) very bad acting bad and And admitting to okay screenwriting (laughs) yeah (laughs) depends usually a lot of in jokes usually definitely targeted at at the specific group that has created it it's by the fans for the fans because then the fans know best what they want. Although if you look at the comments section, nobody can agree on anything, but that's just humans. So. <laughs> and another thing I'd like to touch on is that in previous podcasts, I've kind of avoided talking about film because I've never felt that I've had the skill sets or learned enough to really talk about it intelligently. But I consider web series to have spun off into their own little sets of tropes and Mm -hmm. conventions Mm -hmm. that I find a bit easier to talk about for the reasons listed before, kind of growing up, seeing this stuff shoot up and develop. And hey, you've put the occasional thing on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) Supporting other content creators who just put stuff up for free because why not? Because we love it. Oh, hey, I just remembered something. There's also blogs. But who does that? (laughs) (laughs) So the next question is, after going on this long spiel about how we're millennials and we grew up with this stuff, when did we start watching these things? University. Yes. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Yep. Relatively late. Most millennials started doing things. Because part of that, you don't have a life. (laughs) Relatively late into university for me, too. I think that is an environment that does encourage getting into watching short bursts 
yeah. of content as opposed to mainlining a TV show on Netflix mm. when you have a paper coming up. Yeah. Because even if you're binge watching a web serial, it's what, an hour? An well, hour and a half? <laughs> but also around the same time was when Facebook was sort of invented and became larger used. That would have been in about my first or second year of university when I started to see it popping up. So I think it's just people spending more time online versus people who are like just wanting to create the internet because they're interested in computing and communication or business. I think with a lot of um, people who consume media started to go online more around that university period, whereas prior to that, I don't know as much who would have been on. Although maybe I'm just being very millennial and assuming everything's all about me, so it's difficult to say. Sharing is definitely easier. During that time, crowdfunding became mm-hmm. a thing, and that's super important because web series might be cheaper than putting on a full-blown television production, mm-hmm. but it's still a lot more expensive than the other forms of media that we were discussing before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Podcasting is probably the easiest. You just talk. You download Audacity, and then you edit a bit. (laughs) That's about it. Yeah, the barrier for entry is a lot higher. There's also bandwidth considerations Mm -hmm. and how long it took for YouTube to become a thing. And then Mm -hmm. when YouTube started, there was a 10-minute limit on videos, and you could only upload at 240p or whatever, which is not a good resolution to appreciate camera work. Mm Mm-hmm. And the equipment that you needed to do this stuff became cheaper. Mm-hmm. I remember even in a conventional media article in the newspaper at some point in, I want to say, 2009, so I remember seeing an article about something about how really you can get almost professional or semi-professional content put online because of how how easy it was to get access to the tools that you need. And there's a decent number of people who make stuff that don't permanently own the tools, but they know someone who knows someone, or they're doing drama school or theater or something, and they can find bits and pieces as needed. There's a lot of finding bits and pieces as needed. That's kind of a theme in making web series. Needless to say, the production model and the means of making money is completely different Mm -hmm. in the web series than with regular TV production. And that's T-shirts. not that's not just budget. That's all, almost all of the ones we're going to talk about are independent productions or semi-independent small companies that put these together. Mm-hmm. And their revenue streams, there is advertising, but yeah. eh, you need to really reach out and get your fingers into a whole lot of stuff to be able to make money off yeah. of this. And I mean, as much as it's for the fans, by the fans, the fans don't really want to pay a whole lot. <laughs> They love the thing, but they're probably also poor, or at least believe they're poor in a first-world problems kind of way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. In another case of fingers getting extended outside, a lot of these web serials end up becoming transmedia experiments, Mm -hmm. or at least some of the major ones we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. because of where they're born on the internet and going, Mm -hmm. oh, we made a series, we're releasing episodes... Why don't we have a Twitter feed with all the characters on it? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have this character have their own video log that's up on a different channel? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. don't we make a 90s era GeoCities-looking website <laughs> <laughs> with a countdown on it for yeah. an event that happens in our web serial? Uh, I miss you uh, it so much. <laughs> and these can be innovative and interesting at other times, they can be really overwhelming. Yeah. But while stuff like this has happened on TV, I tend to find it doesn't happen as often, and it's never nearly as creative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I mean, the examples you were using are all from the Lizzie Bennett series, which we talked about in a different podcast, but it's just so much being, because it, usually this content seems to be created by people who's approximately same or just slightly older age than the people consuming, or the target audience. The people consuming could be any age, obviously. Um, and it's just very sort of, uh, in in the uh, turning into a slice of life or in the world of the people consuming by making it, oh look, they're just like you. They can get a Twitter feed where they'll actually talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you, you can get involved in the story. Download <laughs> our app. Yep. But we'll railroad that crap. <laughs> 
So despite us already mentioning the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and again, listen to that episode if you want to, Mm -hmm. it's mostly us incoherently squealing about how much we like it, so Mm -hmm. take that as you will. The first successful or at least popular web series, or at least the one that I knew about, was Mm -hmm. The Guild, and The Guild is hugely influential. Mm -hmm. The Guild aired in 2007, or it began then. It ran for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. With various interruptions in between the seasons, mm-hmm. as I, th- the first one that I knew of, I shouldn't say it's the first one I ever heard of. It's the first one mm-hmm. where it didn't begin with a network or an advertiser or a game trying to put together, yeah. like Mortal Kombat, the web series kind of things. Yeah, it's the first time I know that somebody paid for everything by themselves, mm-hmm. got a bunch of volunteer actors together. And made something that looked at least semi-professional by the end of it. I mean, a decent number of half-dress sets, but you know, Yeah, well, bad. mostly filmed in the showrunner's house at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Or various houses around L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, the showrunner is, of course, Felicia Day, who's mm-hmm. since become an internet celebrity. Mm-hmm. She detailed... Probably one of the few legit internet celebrities. <laughs> Well, she did start in acting beforehand. Mm-hmm. She detailed the genesis of the series in her memoir, You're Never Weird on the Internet Almost, which I mm-hmm. highly recommend. The story behind it's pretty interesting. She was, mm-hmm. she is, still is a professional actor. Yeah. She was on Buffy, I guess, for a few episodes and some mm-hmm. other stuff before she started the Guild. Mm-hmm. But she was basically mostly making her money off of filming commercials. Mm-hmm. This had made her really depressed. Mm-hmm. She lost a year to playing World of Warcraft mm-hmm. because she was depressed. Mm-hmm. And then this show was in part her way of trying to claw out mm-hmm. of that. And yeah, it That's shows. not to say that you have to be depressed to play World of Warcraft. Not that no. I do, but you don't have to be depressed to play it. <laughs> but the fact that the guild is based on her own experiences and kind of written out of that is very obvious when you watch the show. Mm-hmm. And I found it really interesting. I liked it. Gotta ask Marie, though. <laughs> I kind of didn't. And it's sort of... I'm one of those people that has a hard time even watching Mr. Bean, because I feel sorry for people too easily. Um, professionally, it's easier to turn off. <laughs> but um, I just... It was particularly the mother figure who was ignoring her family and her everything else that mattered. <laughs> for this game and then the um extremely awkward east indian guy who was just lusting after felicia day's character i just couldn't stand how how annoying (laughs) and how broken they were and i was like this could all be fixed or better and i just don't want to watch this painful thing anymore that said i did watch it for i think the first season and a half because despite that discomfort it was still pretty good and I was enjoying the game jokes. Uh, not that I, again, I didn't. I don't play World of Warcraft, but I'm. It would definitely be a gamer type person. See previous episodes, <laughs> and so I appreciate a lot of the uh, types of jokes going going around. And yeah, but I had to stop. <laughs> so based on her memoir, the characters in this show are conglomerations or semi based on real people who were even worse. Mm-hmm. So take that as you will. <laughs> Yeah, I know. The show is about gamers, if you didn't gather that already, or haven't watched it. It's been around for a while. Yep. Um, still free to watch, people. Still free to watch. It did get picked up for a sponsorship by, I think, Xbox, mm. who started paying for the production later on. So it mm. went from being completely independent to crowdfunding and getting lots of donations to put together the second season, mm. to corporate sponsorship. Then somebody wanted to buy the show for TV, but they wanted to change everything. Mm-hmm. And Felicia Day said no, and she kept control of that. And now mm-hmm. she owns her own, basically, media production company, which puts together other web serials. Mm-hmm. Some of which we'll be talking about later. Yeah, it's about gamers addicted to a game that is just called The Game. Mm-hmm. The main character is only referred to by her in-game name, Codex. Mm-hmm. which was, I think, Felicia Day's character name in Ultima Online, mm-hmm. which shows you she's been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. 
she her therapist drops her because her therapist just can't stop her from spending way too much time on the internet. Mm. She's lost her job. She goes, I know, I'll start my own therapy group with the members in my guild. And they turn out to be even worse than she is in many cases. And they just end up enabling each other. It's all very pathological. It's funny, funny, but equally depressing. (laughs) If you spend any amount of time in certain groups among gamers or at comic cons, you will see the same pathology a lot. It's it's not like it's morally bad, but it can be really frustrating. To... <laughs> yeah, very fandom oriented, which mm-hmm. is probably why it became so popular. Mm-hmm. They would just go to conventions and just leave bookmarks and stuff around, saying, "Watch mm-hmm. the show; it's about you." Mm-hmm. I guess people didn't feel insulted after watching the first episode with that kind yeah. of pitch. But... <laughs> well, and I mean, as much as I don't like it, I'm not specifically in the fandom. And I feel like if that at the time this would be the first and only, maybe only uh, media actually speaking to those people about those issues that are kind of normal people, real issues. Maybe not so much that wasn't so much what attracted people as there were people acting as they did and making jokes about them and hey, it's a show. That's cool. Yeah. After the guild, there was an explosion in this stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Maybe not a giant explosion, more a slow burn where more and more stuff started rolling out mm-hmm. that were directly inspired by, oh, look how successful the guild was. Mm-hmm. You can put together something like this in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. Yep. <laughs> and people Unless did. we have. And thus, well, we're going to Lizzie Bennett. Mm-hmm. Which started its own mini boom afterwards because Lizzie Bennett was the first, I guess, classic update, yeah, adaptation that at least gained traction mm-hmm. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And as detailed in the other episode, I watched the f- I think only three episodes had come out mm-hmm. when I started watching it, mm-hmm. and it was this big new like oh my god there hasn't been anything really like this before mm-hmm. where you take it was really char- cool yeah taking characters from this 19th century novel and mm-hmm. being true to the characters but still updating it into mm-hmm. formats of today using this giant media experiment mm-hmm. and after lizzie bennett came a bunch of other classic adaptations a lot of them some produced by the same people some produced by other people who are like oh Look, this is a thing you can do now and be it's successful a genre. with it. Yeah, so now this is its own little subgenre of web serials. The first one that came out after Lizzie Bennett was Welcome to Sanditon, produced by the so same boring. people, had the same so actors, boring. and was so boring. It was so boring. I didn't finish it. Well, it's based on a book that I believe is unfinished. Or at least if not unfinished, it's not exactly one of Jane Austen's more Mm well-known novels. I'd never heard of it Mm -hmm. before the show. And it didn't seem to have... Did it have a plot? Welcome to Sanditon did not have a plot. There's something with the beach and an ice cream shop and, like, evil, um, like, um, property developer types. I'm not really sure. But one of the problems with that one is they brought in... I hate saying this, but they brought in a lot of fan-produced content yeah, and would air it within the show as part of the show. And it just ended up taking up time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's akin to the newspaper instead of printing like letters to the editor, just printing rants that people have posted to them. And it's never... Mm-hmm. They basically just print a bunch of comments. Very lazy, and it's not very good because it's totally not professionally done and totally unedited. Yes. The selection process. I have not heard anything about that show afterwards because after Lizzie Bennett came out, that was mm-hmm. newsworthy. Mm-hmm. You saw like they won an Emmy or something. For yeah, it, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. the DVDs were selling like crazy. There was a novelization, which is hilarious because it's yeah, <laughs> it's a novelization of a web serial adaptation of a novel. Yeah, yeah. That exists. Oh, the money starts to starts to beckon, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next major adaptation they did, because Sanditon was not major, was mm-hmm. Emma Approved. That was pretty good, too. 
Which is very well made, very well acted, but a lot of whether you're going to like it or not is based entirely on whether you find Emma just completely infuriating or not. Mm. She's hard to watch, but I did want to see her crash and burn. And then I liked her, so it worked well. (laughs) Part of why I stuck with that series was mostly all of the actors in it, men and women, are extremely attractive. Yeah. Okay, that's an an interesting thing about you, Michael. (laughs) In a way that you didn't really see with Lizzie Bennet, which also had very um, well-made-up people, let's say. Everybody had immaculate immaculate makeup, is what Mm. I mean. Oh, yeah, but they were fashion blogs. They were very well-dressed and had immaculate makeup, and they kind of pushed that to 11. Yeah. It ever approved. So you watched like... Emma approve for the costume and makeup. <laughs> yeah, everyone looks so pretty and they're dressed in such great things. And it's <laughs> not like I would never have watched anything else before based on that criteria. No, so wow. That's awesome. web serials introducing you to new aspects of yourself that you never knew existed. Is the 11 year old you that just likes to read Conan quietly screaming somewhere in the back of your mind? <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> That, that's how the internet broadens our minds. I uh, even because I didn't participate with Leslie Bennett on like all the Twitter and everything else. I did look at some of the other videos because they were important for the plot. But I did read a couple of the blogs for Emma approved of like her fashion publication stuff, and it was interesting how there was a lot of subtext as they're talking about um, wearing nude shoes in spring <laughs> and things. After a while, I couldn't stand all the fashion fashioniness, so, yeah. yeah. That one took a break midway through the season. I guess they ran out of me or something. Yeah, funding. Uh, and yeah, I, there was no sense of urgency in the same way that Lizzie Bennett had coming mm-hmm. towards the last few episodes. Because it's like, I, f- I want to know! I want to know! I, I want to know! <laughs> yeah, part of the reason that Transmedia Experiment was so successful was... You're waiting for the next episode, and you want to know what happens next. You're like, what? Maybe I can get some hints about some mm-hmm. other stuff that's going on by looking at all this other crap that they rolled out and put on top of it. That I never had that desire with mm-hmm. Emma approved. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, some of the actors from Welcome to Sanditon showed up on the New Adventures of Peter and Wendy, which I don't think you've seen. Mm-mm. But the first season of that I would recommend. It makes Peter Pan the boy who never grew up a complete man-child living in some city in the States. (laughs) The first season, really good. The second season, Peter becomes such a repulsive character (laughs) that I stopped wanting to watch it. (laughs) There's a theme I'm noticing with these web series. God, these people. (laughs) God, these people. (laughs) That's adorable. Um... Crossing the sea, since these were made in the States and not having anything to do with Pemberley Digital or that group of people, is nothing much to do, mm-hmm. which was inevitably we were going to get a Shakespeare adaptation done this way. It was only mm-hmm. a matter of time. Yep. I guess they were theater students in university or something mm-hmm. put together an adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, mm-hmm. which I believe you quit. <laughs> I did. I just yeah. got very bored. <laughs> I thought it was fairly well done in terms of writing. The production mm-hmm. design obviously was not up to the same level as something like yep. Bennett Diaries, because yep. they were they were all, like, very young, 19, 20, yeah. in nothing much to do playing 16-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sequel to that called Lovely Little Losers, which is Love's Labor's Lost, but <laughs> in a university house where flatmates are trying to get along with each other. Mm-hmm. That one went along for a little bit. But those are our Shakespeare adaptations. There's Anna Green Gables ones that I haven't seen. Ugh, how Canadian. <laughs> There's um, a Canadian adaptation of Little Women, which does the first half of the book and was also at least produced by the same people who did the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. And then there's Frankenstein MD, which is also Woo! the same people, but this time they partnered with PBS, so the production quality, at least in terms of sets, is yeah. very good. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, ending is also very abrupt. <laughs> it's really good, though. Frankenstein MD is great. 
the story of Victoria Frankenstein and her uh, des- and her desire to um, be the best sciencey doctorist person in the world, and then kills her camera. <laughs> and uh, then you can guess what happens from there. Lots it of, ends badly for her. <laughs> lots, but of, it's great. Yeah, lots of blood spurting up around to the camera. And <laughs> mm-hmm. Rats coming to life, and you can't do this. It's madness. Very well put together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if PBS has done anything since then in this vein. Yeah, I don't they probably know realized there's not much money in this game. <laughs> no, uh, it was not nearly as successful as Lizzie Bennett's. I think. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons that I don't think anything in this particular genre is ever going to be as successful as Lady Bennett. No, because it. it'll just be the same thing. Yep, first one, first one's the best so far. Mm-hmm. Now, with using public domain works, you at least have a good story that you can hang your stuff on. Yeah. It's a little bit more difficult to be coming up with completely your own content, no matter how much you might be drawing from or inspired by existing media beforehand. That's why I consider the mashups to follow a bit more ambitious than any of the shows we were recently talking about. Talking about Job Hunters! Yeah! That's <laughs> which, probably the best web series. <laughs> yes, which wears its influences on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. It is, well, what, what would you say it's a mashup of? Definitely The Hunger Games. Um, and... Millennial life, <laughs> I guess. Oh, there's yeah. no jobs, and we all have college educations. <laughs> um, oof. Maybe a little bit of um, Portal. <laughs> Harry Potter, I think, might come in there. Yeah. With just yeah. The, the getting together, and it's not a school, but mm-hmm. it's totally a school story. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, Job Hunters, it's the future. There aren't many jobs to go around, so when you complete your university education, you get sent into the arena where you slaughter other people and in the hopes that one this corporation will give you a job. Uh, the upside of this is we don't actually see too much of the arena battles. Mm-hmm. Once the day is over, you have to live with your doormates where no violence is allowed in the safe house. Yeah. And that is what the show is about, really. And it's amazing. It's so good. At the time it came out, this was the best looking mm-hmm. web series I've seen for production values and set design. Mm-hmm. It is definitely uh, up there. And I think they have one actual actor. <laughs> yes, they have one actual actor somewhere. Yeah. As what you just said points out, this production is also entirely born out of fandom. Yep. Entirely. It's a bunch of YouTube stars yep. who did a bunch of vlogging beforehand and apparently live in a cube together, mm-hmm. or some of them do now, put together a show where they're like, we can write a thing. Yeah. The writing's actually pretty good. Yeah. And it's the strength the act- of the show. The acting is not as bad as you might think from that setup because most of these people are just playing themselves. Yeah, they don't need to do any real work. They basically wrote the parts for themselves. They don't really need to stretch. Yeah, I mean, they're playing millennial-ish aged people who are in this situation. (laughs) And that's about it. They just kind of have to be whatever they already are. And I got into the show because I followed one of the vloggers. I think mm. that's how most people who started out worried about it. They I hear pretty... about most of my shows through Michael. Not all of them, <laughs> but most of them. They did a pretty big push on it. They're like, we mm. have this web series coming out. And first they were crowdfunding it. Mm. And then in the second season, they ran another Kickstarter. Again, Kickstarter became really important mm-hmm. around this time to this stuff getting out. The second yeah. season, the cracks in the edges start showing where they're more ambitious than what you could raise from just asking people to donate Still good. Yeah, oh yeah, still great. (laughs) I doubt there will be any more, though. No, I think they kind of went all out for that. Yeah. Once you have to start animating large-scale explosions and a train... Yeah. ...and that sort of thing, it becomes a lot harder to make it look good. Yeah. ...on the kind of equipment that they were working with. (laughs) It's great. I would... That would be my number one recommendation. I say, if you're starting, just starting to watch web series, this is one place where you should really yeah. click on yeah yeah but speaking of professional quality we're gonna move on to larps 
<laughs> well, live action role playing. This does fall into the ex- aspiring actors and directors. Not yep. even aspiring because yep. um, I found out that one of the people in LARPs, I had seen her in Shakespeare in the Park huh? yep. before the show was ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess Which one? Um, the one who plays the sort, the elf. Oh, Corellia? Yeah. Oh, her. Brittany is the character's Brittany. name. Brittany, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was Hermia? Was she? Cool. Oh, so when she talks about that, do you think that the role play helps your acting career? She goes, yeah, I think a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of an in-joke. That's really funny. <laughs> so they're all actors around Montreal, and this wasn't pointed out until the second season. I'm like, wait, that's Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael lived in Montreal for a while, and so he's probably been annoyed that he didn't notice. Well, to be fair, I, it's mainly shot in a guy's house and in a park. So. Yeah, and the park's not in Montreal. You need to drive out a few hours to get where they were doing their shots. But I'm it was wondering. one one of those yeah. super cool uh, experiences watching the show and that they're just randomly saying, oh, we're in Montreal, the second season. Going, what? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I just got past that part because I'm only just still watching this one. I this like is, it. Yeah, it's... It's very well acted, at least by season two. It yeah. has good writing. Mm-hmm. It's about a group of Montreal gamers who get together to do live-action role-playing yeah. and the various interpersonal conflicts that happen between them over the I mean, it, it kind of pulls experience. on the guild a lot. It's just a different genre. Yeah. But I find that the people are more likable and more... <laughs> Less sort of neurotic and more kind of just a normal people who are better fleshed out characters. Not that I saw the entirety of the guilds, so maybe they grew more as time went on. And, I mean, maybe it's also more that I'm in the community. I haven't actually LARPed ever, but I have, I have played a lot of D&D and I have uh, cosplayed. So I haven't quite combined the two, but I can appreciate it. <laughs> There's a lot of hyperbole in the characters in the guild. Or I say that when you're watching it. When you find out who inspired them, you go, Mm -hmm. oh, it's totally toned down. Mm -hmm. But it can get really... Like, there's a lot of scenes that feel like giant exaggeration in the guild. You don't really have scenes like that in LARPs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's just kind of normal people. (laughs) Yeah, they feel like normal, real people. They have interesting character dynamics between them. Mm-hmm. What really stood out for me, though, was the quality of the cinematography mm-hmm. and the shots. Even in season one, where their budget wasn't particularly high, yeah. there's some oh, pretty good trick shots. Oh, that shot in the car? I'm right here! <laughs> that shot is amazing, and yeah. I'm still not sure how they put it together, but good odd them. That was... <laughs> <laughs> that is something you would expect to see on TV. Yeah. Is kind of the quality level in terms of their mm-hmm. editing, yeah, and so on. It's and what's really, really nice about it is that you watch a ten-minute episode, mm-hmm. and there's enough character development and stuff going on that it feels like you've watched a full half hour of television. So I and would definitely recommend it. Yeah, yeah Lars is great. <laughs> maybe, maybe even the toned downness is—is it a difference between Canadians and Americans? Oh, at the end of season two, yeah. not to spoil anything, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's it completely changes the set dressing and so on <laughs> to a different environment from the genre we've been in the fantasy sequences up to then. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's another one where you're just like, oh, I can't believe they pulled that off. That looks amazing. That's good. <laughs> I did enjoy the steampunk episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are great. Particularly, what do you mean I did? <laughs> It has set the bar for what I consider a good web series. Like, what makes a good web series to me is it feels like I've watched a full half hour, hour of television from sitting in front of here in 10 minutes. And that also feeds into the stylistic differences we touched on earlier between this and TV because things are a lot more snappy. The editing is obviously done differently. Scripting has to be done differently to compress. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of difference between 10 10 minutes and 22 minutes, so... If you're good at cutting, yeah. Yeah? (laughs) You need to really Um, condense your story down to make it a satisfying experience. In the same vein, Humans and Households, which only has six episodes, I think? It's a very short series. It's a very short series. But it is so funny. (laughs) 
It's made by the Dead Gentlemen's Productions, who also created The Gamers and The Gamers 2, which were done as a web, presented as a web series, but it's r- really a, they're two full length movies, very cheaply done. I have both of them. They're hilarious. <laughs> I'd say their, pr- their production value is not as good as Lark's. Definitely the first one is very cheaply done, uh, but also on the nose for the, for humor of the problems within Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Humans and Households has much better production quality than the gamers did. Yeah. And if you didn't gather from the title, it's about people in a fantasy world playing a role-playing game where they're suburbanites yeah. in our world. Their and goal is to get to Steve's house. Things go horribly wrong, yeah. It's great. And in another vein, another nerddom, which would be the martial arts nerddom, because if you're doing martial arts, you're kind of hate to break it to you even you mma guys out there anywho there's a great web series called enter the dojo which is about mcdojos or belt factories which are basically places that are set up to make money (laughs) and or don't really have a lot of mm, i guess you could say legitimacy i guess you could say um that would work (laughs) and uh enter the dojo is about a uh new mexican uh Master, Master Ken, who has created the most deadly style in the world, known as Ameridote, which is, it's pretty great. But I'm not sure it's that funny if you're not a martial artist. Did you ever watch any of that, Michael? I did, yeah. Yeah. I watched the first few seasons of that. Yeah. It, I mean, it gets pretty samey. Oh, yeah. But it's, pre- it's pretty funny for that first little bit. It's another one where the characters are exaggerated to such a degree Mm-hmm. That it's very hard to take anything going on seriously, which you're not mm-hmm. supposed to in that case. No, it's definitely a parody. But I appreciate Master Ken with the 11th degree black belt. Up to this point, we've been talking about web serials exclusively in terms of actors and live action directing. Before those became a thing, there was something called Newgrounds, and there was also something called Homestar Runner. Mm-hmm. Flash animation was huge. Flash animation shows were huge. Mm-hmm. They were not the kind of dr- long-form drama, well, long-form mm-hmm. insofar as a web serial can be long-form that we've mm-hmm. been talking to up to this point. We saw a lot of sketch comedy stuff done in flash animation because, thanks to the low bandwidth that we all had back then, that yeah. was the only thing you could really have. Yeah. And you don't really see it anymore. <laughs> no, and as Homestar Runner has moved on to a YouTube channel entirely, because Flash will no longer be supported. I uh, don't really know of any popular show that's animated in Flash anymore. No. Flash yeah. has kind of fallen off the cliff. And I mean, there were a lot of kind of... a lot of. I feel like a lot of Flash shows, because like, there's like Happy Tree Friends, which I never really watched. I watched an episode and went, ooh. <laughs> We're all kind of, like, a bit subversive, I found. Like, it's like, we're a cartoon, but because we're on the internet, anything can be our content. But then Adult Swim became a thing. Yeah. And it, I think yeah. those content creators, if they didn't migrate over, got superseded mm-hmm. by people in professional mm-hmm. production studios putting yeah. together shows for TV. Now, mm-hmm. the thing about good animation is good animation is expensive. Mm-hmm. Flash will not get you fluid animation. Mm-hmm. Again, the low bandwidth issue was why it was the primary form of um, video mm-hmm. content in the early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. But computer advances after Flash have made it a easier prospect to attempt nowadays. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> people even use like motion capture. Yeah, we're... Formerly, <laughs> formerly used only by movie studios. We're going to be talking about Ruby. I love Ruby. Ruby. It's ridiculous. Everything's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> the only show I know of that has gunchucks in it. Yep. That oh, was God. the episode that sold me. Yep, uh, gunchucks. <laughs> very heavily influenced by anime. Yep. There's now an anime spinoff of it, which is sort of... There's a manga spinoff. Oh, it's it. very reductionist. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I think the first time a sh- an animated show influenced by anime produced 
in America <laughs> successfully crossed the ocean and became popular mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. Which is got... very confusing to think about, but <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's also one of those shows where they clearly made something really cool, and then later on they're like, we have to like justify this world, and they're having trouble uh, having their world make sense. <laughs> The world, the world makes no sense yeah. to begin with. This is not a particularly original show. Nope. It's it's of the a school for something genre, yeah. which is a, about a third of anime. Yeah, a school for anything. The characters, some of them have fairy tale motifs to them, but mm-hmm. it never plays into the actual show. Mm-hmm. Nope. So they look cool. Yep. They have these cool costumes that are obviously influenced, like the main character Ruby Rose is obviously mm-hmm. Little Red mm-hmm. Riding Hood, and she has a giant oversized scythe machine gun, sniper mm-hmm. rifle that she uses, mm-hmm. and Weiss is based on the Snow Queen, clearly, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. again, does not factor into the story at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of the other characters aren't based on anything out of fairy tales, which makes you wonder why they picked up on these motifs in the first place. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with color. Lots mm-hmm. of interesting color. Mm-hmm. The animation is, at least for the first few seasons, was done in Poser, which I don't think has ever been used for animation in this way mm-hmm. before. It's specifically because the showrunner, Monty Um. Mm-hmm. He, he's self-taught animator, put together a lot of fight scene kind of things. Mm-hmm. And because he did it that way and was able to use Poser for cel-shaded animation, that's what they used for at least the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the animation is very shaky in season <laughs> one because it's motion captured. Again, I heard an interview about this and they talk about how mm-hmm. the animators would don their little motion capture suits Mm-hmm. And as we all know from those late 70s, early 80s experiments in rotoscoping mm-hmm. in American animation, when you rotoscope someone or motion capture them in the way that this was done, they just shake all over the place. Their mm-hmm. bodies are just vibrating like <laughs> snow to war. Mm-hmm. But of course the fight scenes look good because the mm-hmm. fight scenes were too quick to have been motion captured. Mm-hmm. And obviously they learned their lessons from that and went, we should stop motion capturing stuff because then the animation will be a lot more fluid. Mm-hmm. This falls into that weird space between fan work and professional studio mm-hmm. because Rooster Teeth Productions started out as a 100% fan project between a couple of people. They made Red vs. Blue, which was about Halo and used animations from the Halo games. And then in later mm-hmm. seasons of that, they started doing their own animation. They brought mm-hmm. on Monty Um on board to do the mm-hmm. action scenes. Or I think he might have animated the mm-hmm. whole thing in the case of one of the seasons. It would work like 36-hour mm-hmm. shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now they have their own studio in Texas. They hired people to bring in it's a professional production but still one born out of fandom mm-hmm. and it's obviously born out of fandom <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean I, nothing else would create gun trucks <laughs> a lot of what went into this at least at the beginning was what what could make our tv tropes page look the most attractive TV Tropes reader kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have stuck with the show if they had continued with that, no matter how much I might have liked the Mm -hmm. actor design. Mm -hmm. But that brings us to season three, which is Mm -hmm. often considered the worst of them, Mm -hmm. but is also the most ambitious and one where they... Stuff actually happens. They they finally break from their formula of school of fighting Mm -hmm. stuff, which I... By the end of season two, I had almost no patience left for that. Mm-hmm. And try and make a deeper story and try backfilling mm-hmm. all the mythology and so on that they can put together to make something more satisfying and cohesive. Mm-hmm. It's a very disjointed season, mm-hmm. but I am... Best more... animation, though. <laughs> yes, best animation. I'm a lot more optimistic for where the show is going to go yeah. after this. We will both stay tuned. Yeah. Speaking of professional animation, though, there are a decent number of series 
that use other people's animation and abridge them. Yep, abridge series, which <laughs> is let's take all the tasks of the voice acting and editing, but let's <laughs> not do the animation ourselves. <laughs> Definitely fan base, because only the people who love the show, and they're usually shows that are, some of the shows are well-known ones. Some of them are not as well-known, and it's definitely people who just really love this terrible, terrible show, Elsing, <coughs> which uh, make it into something that's more palatable, or at least has so many in-jokes into the own um, genre that it's, it works better. Yeah, most, at least the most successful ones for me generally are based on shows that are silly to begin with, mm-hmm. and they just sort of point out Mm-hmm. How dumb Dragon Ball Z really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it works well for, for DBZ Abridged because it uh, makes it actually have a smooth flowing plot as opposed to a lot of standing around. <laughs> yeah, and as we said, the, this has to be done by fans for the love of it because due to copyright concerns, there is no way you can make significant money or Mm-mm. try and monetize the show you're putting together. Yeah. They're already pretty shaky underneath the uh, parody laws of the states, but they're still going, so good on them. I think they're great. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was us talking about the brave, exciting... Frontiers. <laughs> frontiers of internet media content mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. We've probably only scratched the surface. The internet's a big place. There, see all the things out there. <laughs> there are a lot of web series. A lot of them are hosted on YouTube. A lot of them aren't. Mm-hmm. There have been so many attempts to try and monetize this mm-hmm. kind of content through subscription services or having websites that mm-hmm. host it exclusively. I don't think any of those worked. Mm-hmm. I think it's always going to be hampered by the fact that it's always in the past been done because people like it and when you have people create content for free that will devalue people that create content for money because the Mm -hmm. market becomes saturated as it were so it's probably going to be kind of stuck in this sort of nobody makes money zone because consumers like ourselves don't necessarily want to pay that much for it and uh, even watching the ads isn't quite like paying (laughs) Yeah, out of what we've talked about, Lizzie Bennett's, I think, made money off of DVD sales mm-hmm. and ancillary stuff. And Ruby, I think the gamers did. The gamers probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ruby, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can watch Ruby on Crunchyroll. I don't know why, but they have that licensing deal. Ruby will probably make figurines and things. Yeah, cups. Basically, yeah. how you make money if you make a webcomic is... I sell a bunch of merchandise with the pony on it. Yeah, the Hark of Agrant method. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't really end up making money off of the content itself. No. And again, circling back to Ruby, this was a case of people who made exclusive fan works before making original content with the goal of it becoming popular mm-hmm. and possibly making their now production studio some cash. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to be seeing a lot more stuff like that because Legendary Entertainment bought Felicia Day's channel media thing. She still Mm. runs it, but Mm. it's owned by Legendary Pictures. I don't Mm. know. Is it Legendary Pictures or Legendary Entertainment? They need to work on their branding is what (laughs) phrasing (laughs) clarifies. I do see in the future a lot more stuff like that. For example, there Mm -hmm. was... The Rift War Chronicles, Rift World Chronicles, which was made by CBC and had a bunch of Canadian actors in it and ran on the CBC YouTube punchline channel for a bit and then got picked up by Felicia Day's channel there. And I really do think we're going to be seeing a lot more studio involvement. Well, on the other hand, Which it might... has, it's a good and good and a bad thing. You'll get higher production quality, probably better acting, but the madcap world of independent production will probably get overshadowed by stuff that just looks better. But it might be more sustainable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and of course, we haven't talked. We didn't talk about because we're talking entirely about sort of creative production. But there's lots of shows like Vsauce and. Um, Vox and Smarter Every Day and the Psy Show and the, key of the awesome. Brain Scoop and the Key of Awesome that create other kinds of shows on YouTube. But we were talking not about those. 
Yeah, and which is also sort of going in the same direction. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, I think it was predictable and bound to happen. Mm-hmm. I will be interested to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually the millennial audience is getting older. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> if you haven't watched any of these shows, I think at least most of the shows we talked about, we would recommend mm-hmm. people give a shot. Doesn't really matter which one. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Yeah. So this has been the One Last Sketch Podcast. I've been Michael. I'm Marie. And that's my cat, Niall. Niall, say something. He's sleeping. <laughs> you can find me on my blog, onelastsketch.wordpress.com. Yes, I also host previous episodes there, but if you want to get episodes of the One Last Sketch podcast elsewhere, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, and we are now on Google Play. Whoa. I'm also going to put in a plug. If you live in Canada, we recently saw the release of Clockwork Canada, steampunk fiction from Exile Editions, a Canadian publisher. I have a short story in there. Go read it. And you can occasionally find me at yakapexy.com. I'll spend the rest of my time doctoring. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please recommend it. We'll be back eventually. We always are. Um, I didn't look up the year. <laughs> well, good job doing research there. <laughs> Do you want to take my avatar? She's a star. Okay, I'm actually going to look up the date. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other ones, it doesn't matter, but this one it does. In the beginning, when the podcast started, and the web series, before that, there were none. 2007? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.